truly believe that God loves you unconditionally as you are and not as you should be. Do you? So glad for you to be here this morning. If you're joining us online, thank you for joining us as well. And as we already said, if you're new with us today, we are so glad to have you. We are continuing in our Dangerous Grace series. And I had a little story I wanted to share to start off today. Uh, it's a beautiful story uh, involving my daughter. If you have kids, this will probably mean something to you. If you don't have kids, you can at least understand the heart of the story. So... Um, Parents know that bedtime is like the worst, right? Like bedtime is just, it's, it's awful. You know, trying to get the kids down, they're running around, they're naked. There's like, put your clothes on, keep your clothes on, get in bed, please. You, you know, I mean, if you just, you know. And so uh, we've been having this thing in our house where the kids have to be the, the, the last person to turn the light off. All right, so we have a little lamp in our kids' room and they fight over who gets to turn off the lamp. And Every night, we just, I just look at my wife, and we just know. It's like, oh, my gosh, this is going to be a thing. And so we go into the room, and Sienna had turned it on and off. We let Jude turn it on and off. And we're like, all right, you guys have both. And Sienna's getting, I, well, Jude, turn it off last. I want to turn it off. I'm like, oh, my gosh, you guys have both turned it on and off. Just get in bed. Like, it was already late. We're just like, no patience. You know when you're just, you just know. The no patience zone, you're like, I'm just about to scream. And so Sienna, she's sitting there, and we have a bunk bed. So she, Jude's slowly getting in bed, and Sienna's sitting there, and she's looking at the, la the lamp. And we're like, she's going to do it. She's going to, I told her, I told her not to. And she's, she kind of looks at us, and she looks at the lamp. And she goes over and turns the lamp back on. And I'm like, oh, my, uh, I'm going to lose it. I'm going to lose it. So... <laughs> We turn the lamp off, and I say, Sienna, go to my room. I don't tell her to go to her room. I say, go to my room. Go to my room now. Jude, get in bed. Stay in bed, please. <sighs> so I was like, I knew if I, if I had her go to my room, it would give me enough time to somewhat cool down before I walked into the room. So I, Beth and I are walking in, and Sienna's on the bed, and I look at her. And I just want to scream. Why are you? Ugh, just go to bed. But I look at her, and so we walk there. Okay, what did you do? Why did you do that? What, do you understand? We asked you really nicely not to do that. Do you understand how that could be? You know, that could hurt mommy and daddy. We want you to listen to us. We want you to, I know. And I'm like, Santa, look at me. So she, I'm like, look at me. She keeps head up, head down. Look at me. I'm like, mommy and daddy love you very much. And she shakes her head. She's like, and Jesus loves me too. Man, yes, Jesus loves you 
to. Why is it that kids can embrace it so easily and we as adults can't? I talked about that last week, you know, in this, this opening video that we have, embracing that God loves you no matter what. And here's my daughter giving me this perfect example. You know, I, I say, you know, I love you no matter what. And she goes, and Jesus loves me too. Why is it that it's so hard for us to embrace that? Maybe as kids, you know, it's like, all right, well, you just turned a lamp off when your parents told you not to, you know? It's like, you haven't seen the mess that I've done. But I think there is something to learn, that childlike faith that we hear about in Scripture, that, that they just embrace it. They embrace God's love, and it's so adorable, and it's so great. It's like, as a parent, you're always looking at, you know, kids and comparing other parents, and you're always like, well, my kids aren't as good as their kids, or my kids are crazier, and then you're like, what am I doing as a parent? And it's just like this thing, and then you see these little glimpses where your kid does something that's just like, wow, okay, maybe I'm not as terrible as a parent as I think I am. Like, thank you for that, God. But as we continue in this series, why is it so hard to embrace that? Why is it so hard to understand God's love for us? And why do we always feel the need to have to earn it? Why do we always feel a need that we have to be good enough to sense that God loves us? So Pastor CR, Pastor Jason, and myself, we got back in the car this week and continue to talk about Dangerous Grace. Let's take a look at this video. I did hear that in the Olympic bubble, you know, whatever that what means, but there were only like 140 uh, positive tests yeah, yeah. out of 30,000 given over okay. the two weeks. So uh, their point was they did a good job of protecting everyone there by making the bubble. Okay. For whatever that's worth. Isn't that what the church tries to do? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Hello. We don't want your simple oh. viruses to get into our Keep church. Keep away. <laughs> Don't get any. Don't get that near my children. Don't get that near me. Not today. <laughs> we we do like to have our, our protective spear sphere spears 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 too. Same thing. Yeah. yeah. Spears, spears and spheres. Spears. Yep. spears. There's a name for a band. Spears. Instead of tears for fears. Spears, spears, spears and fears. fears. <laughs> spears like causing fears. No, it's like really what we're saying is. Don't bring your sin that's different than our sin. <laughs> right, right. I did. Yeah, it's like, you know, yeah, we're comfortable with people yeah. sinning the same like ways. Us. Yes. Right. Well, I would say comfortable. We're more lenient. Yes. We'll, we'll be like, oh, no, it's a sin. But since we do it, too, we're not going right. to call it I'm, out. I'm way more willing to give grace yes. for that because I get it. I understand the yes. struggle. You yes. know, I, it's hard. But you sin different from me, so right. like, how could, That's an abomination. How could you? Right. I, I think part of the struggle, at least that I've seen, is... We're, we're okay with people who admit they're sinful and broken. Mm -hmm. It's the people that we think are living in sin but won't admit it. Yeah. We feel like there's we, we've got to convince them that they're actually yeah. wrong. Right, right. right. There is a part of us that has to put effort into our growth as a follower of Christ. Yeah. And I think too often, though, we equate that with what it takes to become a Christian. Mm. Right? I, I got to put some effort right. in to get myself right when that we also, person yeah. needs to get themselves right. But there's a tension in, in all of this that we've talked about is giving like all these firm answers. 
<laughs> like Jesus, not that he didn't give firm answers, but there's no, a lot didn't. of there's a <laughs> yeah. lot of place where he just asked a question instead. Of, right. He didn't give an answer. He just asked a question. Right. It's like oh, well, I think man. it does go back to what am I doing to connect with God just as a person to understand Him and the grace that I've been shown because I know who I am and I know who God says I am and you know so what am I doing on a regular basis to keep that front and center in my life yeah that's a good question we're going to look at that today we're going to look at a story that shows exactly that someone who responded to God's grace and how they responded so if you have your Bibles with you I want you to turn to Luke we're going to be in Luke chapter 7 today so you can go ahead and jump there now if you have your Bibles with you we're going to be in Starting in verse uh, 36, this is the story of the sinful woman. So we had, the, we had the Pharisee and the tax collector the first week. We got a tax collector. We had Zacchaeus last week, and now we're looking at the, the sinful woman. All right, so we're starting in verse 36. It says this, When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owned, owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has been shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Such a beautiful story. I complained last week about the story with Zacchaeus, that there's like no details. If you look at the Zacchaeus story, it's like, all right, Jesus is walking, you know, Zacchaeus sees him, they go hang out, and all of a sudden Zacchaeus is a changed man. Here, we actually see interaction. We see conversation. We see things going on. We see a lot of imagery here, which I think is beautiful. All right, so I'm calling this message, this slide. I want you to see this first slide. What's that mean? If you know, you know. It's the title of my message today. If you know, how many didn't know? Will they, will they be 
enough to admit that big enough to admit they didn't know. Don't worry, there were some people under the age of 30 that didn't know either, or even under the age of 20 here that didn't know that. So you're, it's okay if you didn't know. But if you know, you know. What does that mean? It's, it's something you have to experience, right? You, you'd see this in like social media, like that party last night, IKYK. If you know, you know. And if you went to that party, you would know. For me, it's like, I'm a, I'm a big foodie. I love food. My wife and I, we uh, took a trip to Italy for our 10-year anniversary. If you've had pasta in Italy, if you know, you know. You know, it's like, it's just, it's different. It's, it's just better. You know, if you've, if you've went to a, who's been to the shoe to watch a football game? If you know, you know, right? You, gotta, you just got to experience it. You can talk about it and be like, oh, the energy, the noise, the, it's just, if you know, you know. You just, you just had to just, just had to know. If you've experienced it, it knows it changes you, right? There's a difference in you. This sinful woman, she knows. She knows something the Pharisee doesn't. And what does it cause her to do? My first point today is this. God's grace compels us to worship. What does that mean? This, this woman worships Jesus right in front of the other people. Towards the end of the story, you see Jesus make a comparison between the two of them, uh, the Simon, the Pharisee, and, and this woman. He says, you did not give me water for my feet, but she wet, she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but she's not stopped kissing my feet. You did not pour oil on my head, she poured out her perfume. Each of these actions were very significant in that time. It wouldn't have been odd. For her to be there, it really wouldn't have been odd. A lot of times when a Pharisee had invited somebody of importance over, there was, it was an open area. And very often the, the people in the community, they would come and they would listen to the conversations. So the woman to be there isn't necessarily weird, but the fact that she got close and moved in and is actually loving on Jesus, there's something there. And specifically for Simon the Pharisee, there was some, I would say, agreed upon uh, niceties that you would do for a guest coming in. It would usually start, like if you have an honored guest at your place, it would usually start with, you know, putting a hand on their shoulder and a, like a holy kiss or something like that. A kiss of peace is what they would call it. And that was, you know, that was a, a mark of respect for that person. And that was omitted for Jesus. They didn't, he didn't do that. The second, if you know, you know, back then they didn't have nice paved roads. It wasn't like neat and clean. It was basically dirt paths. And they wore sandals. So your feet would be very dirty and dusty. And so it was customary then to actually pour cool, cool water over people's feet as they entered the house. This didn't happen. So he didn't, he didn't show any you know, sign of love kissing him or hand on the shoulder. He didn't pour water on his feet. And last, they would usually put some sort of, um, you know, incense or some sort of oil on the guest, the head of the guest, none of which the Pharisee did. Simon did none of these things. Now, I don't think that Simon was necessarily trying to, like, patronize him or anything, but there was obviously something there. He didn't realize who Jesus was. There was a level of respect he did not understand who Jesus was. And here again, if you know, you know. He didn't know. The woman knows. 
the woman is acknowledging just how important Jesus is. And Simon's sitting back like, what is this lady doing? How is he, of all people, letting her touch him? And so if we've truly experienced God's grace in our life, we will be changed. If we've truly experienced that love, there should be something different inside of us. There should be something that comes up. I wrote this down. Grace should make us grateful. That first song we sang today, grateful. I give thanks for all you've done, and I will sing of your mercy and your love. Like, are we, are we grateful? Have we, like, actually acknowledged God's grace in our life? And with that, gratitude should be expressed through generosity. What's the, what's the natural way of expressing gratitude? Through generosity, with our time, with our money, with our whatever we have. How else do you show gratitude? How else do you show that you care about something? If you have a friend or a significant other, what do you do? You do something for them out of your love for them, out of your gratefulness that they're in your life. And this is what we see the woman do. She, she expresses her gratitude. She expresses her love. How are we expressing that gratitude? How, how am I truly expressing my gratitude to God? What am I doing? And, and secondly, what does it cost? What does it cost me to be grateful to God? What does it cost me to love God? You see, I can't force anybody here to acknowledge what God has done in their life. I can't tell it to you well enough. Like, you have to, on your own, come to a realization that Jesus loves you no matter what, and his grace is for you, and that he, he came, that God sent his son to die for you and raise again for us. Like, I can tell you that story, but until you embrace that yourself, it's not really gonna change you. It's just gonna be another story. Like, okay, I've heard that before. So what is our offering? What does our worship to God look like because of this? What does it cost? In studying this story, it's pretty agreed upon that this lady was probably a prostitute. And so she's coming, you know, they, they, they know, all right, well, they, they know her. She's that sinful woman. But she, she worships Jesus. And I would say there's sacrifice here. And I think the sacrifice is more substantial than, than we may think. That alabaster jar is something that would have been pretty common for Jewish women at the time. They would wear it around their neck. There would usually be some sort of thing they wore around their neck. And this would be very expensive. It talks about this. It's an expensive thing. So it's a, it's a, a prized possession, a valued possession for them. Most likely for her, it would have been one of her most valuable possessions. And so we see the fact that she's taking this and pouring it on Jesus' feet. You don't just give away your prized possession. What's your prized possession? Maybe it's your car. Maybe it's like an old, I don't know. I'm trying to think. What's, what's a good prize? Anybody have a prized possession? Any good ones? Any good prized possessions? Nobody has any good prized possessions? prized possessions? Nothing. Car. Thinking about, you know, it's funny, I was, uh, I, I collected trading cards. Anybody collect trading cards growing up? Anybody have the, like, rare, like, oh, I had a Babe Ruth that was signed or something? Like, that's like saying, all right, I'm going to give this super valuable thing away to somebody. I'm just going to give my car away. 
1957 Corvette, I'm just going to give it away. Would you do that to anybody? Would you just give something like that away? No. You would just give that away. That's your prized possession. And for this lady, I think it goes beyond just the, just the cost of it. Because here's the thing. If she was truly a prostitute, then there's something that that perfume would have done for her. It would have allowed her to be attractive. So not only is it super expensive, she's, she's like giving away a piece of her. She's giving away a piece of, of her income because that's all the power she has. That was all of her power, her attractiveness. And she's giving it away. She's pouring it at Jesus' feet. That's her only leverage, her only, like, that's her attractiveness. She's giving it away. She's sacrificing it. She knows something. She's embraced something. She's acknowledged something in her life, which has allowed her, this is a true act of sacrifice. To give this away. And so my second point is this, God's grace confirms our identity. She knew who she was. That grace has changed her. She's no longer bound by what she did. You know, we desire to help people embrace their identity in Christ. We feel like this is so important to your spiritual journey, to your spiritual walk, to your spiritual growth, is to understanding who you are in Jesus, in Christ. And what is that identity? At the core, the most simple way of putting it, your identity in Christ is to know that you are truly loved. That's the, the simplest, most easy way to put it, that you are truly loved. No if ands, or buts, you are truly loved. It didn't matter that this lady wasn't a good person. It didn't matter. You know, we like to say in, in religion, religion's about, um, a lot of people say this, it's about just doing the, the right thing, right? I'm just gonna do the good thing. I'm a good person. I'm nice, you know, I give to some charities from time to time. I'm a good person. But what's interesting, if you look through Luke especially, you see the opposite of this. You see Jesus embracing the not good people. The tax collectors, the prostitutes, the sick, the broken, the other. And it's the good people, right? It's the good people that he calls out. It's the good people that don't seem to understand. There's something here. It's the people who are good, the people who have it all together, that have a hard time seeing Jesus for who he is. Maybe even seeing that they have a need for him. For some reason, it's the weak in the society that seem to be the one that embrace Jesus. Following Jesus is about recognizing your limitations. And it's the weak that are first to understand that. They know their limitations. They know they're weak. They know they have issues. They know they can't do it on their own. Society in and of itself has already beaten them down enough. They realize, I've got nothing else. Yet the rest of us, we're fooling ourselves. I got it together. I can do it in my strength. I'm good enough. I got this. 
We think about, we all, I've got this under control. I can do this myself. And it's no wonder in this community, in most of America, that we have such a hard time embracing the goodness of God because we have everything we need on our own. I don't need you, God. My life's just fine. And all this weird spiritual stuff and these weird things that I read in scripture, I don't need that. I'm great. I'm good. But it's the broken, the outcast, the prostitutes who are realizing I've got nothing else. And the little that I do have, I'm gonna let go of. I'm gonna give it all. This woman let go of any pride that she had. Even, even the fact that her hair was down, in that time, you just went, you would keep your hair up. That was like, you did not put your hair down. And now you could make an argument, it might have already been down because of the job that she had, but if it was up, the fact of her bringing it down to wash Jesus' feet was pretty scandalous. How dare you? Do, oh, you can't do that. What is she doing? And here again, we talked about the crowd last week, right? We talked about the crowd keeping you from seeing Jesus. You got Simon talking. What is, does, does Jesus know she's a sinner? You got people, what is she doing? Why is her hair down? Does he know who's touching her? Touching him, sorry. Does Jesus know who's touching him? Does he know that she's a prostitute? How dare it? She's kissing his feet. Can you imagine seeing that today? Even today, like somebody kissing someone's feet and washing with hair, it seemed a little weird, right? Like she just let it go. She's like, I don't care. I don't care how this looks. I'm gonna worship you because you're everything to me. I realize who you are. She's let go of pride. She's let go of any, any past self and she's giving it away. Again, go back to the title. If you know, you know. She knows something. Something's different. And I kind of wrapped it up with this, that if you know, you know. If you know you can't earn it, you'll know that you're worth it. If you know you can't earn it, you'll know that you're worth it. How many, how many friends do you have that are friends because of what they get in return? Or how many friends do you have that you keep because of what you get in return? Well, they make me look good. They've got, they've got a boat, so I wanna go out on their boat, and so I'm gonna be friends with them. Or they've got a pool, and so I wanna make sure that I'm friends with Or maybe you're the person who has the boat and the pool, and we're sorry for you that you have to have that much maintenance and upkeep, and you have to spend so much time keeping your boat and pool clean. And we thank you that we can come and, and jump in it whenever we want. Anyways, but think about that. Think about our relationships. So many relationships are built on what I get out of it. Jesus gave knowing there's nothing we could give back. He loves you that much. He loves you that much to know that, you know what, I'm gonna give everything. And they can't give everything. That's how you know you're worth it. That's how you know that you're special. That's how you know that you matter. We talk about you matter. You have a purpose. Why? Because of the sacrifice that Jesus gave, knowing there's nothing that we could give in return. And that's grace. Grace is not anything you can earn. It's not anything you can do, which makes it that much more special. And it should mean something to us.
that should go to the identity piece, that I am loved. I'm a child of God. I was important enough that he would give what he gave. The scripture says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He, he knew it. He knew your mess. He knows your mess, your ongoing mess. He knows it. He's not surprised by it. And yet he still loves. And, and what was it? If we look at this woman, she recognized just how great the love, because of just how sinful she was. It's that little parable. The debt was so high that she recognized really easily just how much that love meant to her. Do you know? Do you know today? Do you know how much Jesus loved you? Is your faith in that? Her faith was in that, and what did it do? It saved her. Jesus said, go, your faith has saved you. Again, this is the other thing with scripture that is so, it's such a wrestling point for me. I don't know what happened after that. I don't know what happened with Zacchaeus after that. Did he stay a tax collector? She had just given everything. What did she have left to do? Where did she go? I don't know. But she was changed. And Jesus saw her. He gave her attention and said, your faith has saved you. Do you know today? Do you know today? This is the, the recognition of grace. We've talked about grace and how we should, you should give it. We need to recognize grace. And that grace is fuel for us. If we truly recognize that grace, I don't like giving shoulds, well, you should do this and you should do that and you should do this. But I'd challenge us, if we are truly acknowledging the grace that we've been given, man, I feel like there should be something different in our lives. Whether that's gratitude, whatever it is, there should be something different in our lives. And if it's not, then I think we need to start digging in to finding out just how much God loves us and how much that means to us. Let's pray. God, you are good. We love you and we thank you so much for all that you do for us. We thank you for your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness and that no matter what we do, no matter how good we try to be, God, that we know we will fall, fall short. And that makes your grace and your love and mercy all the more sweeter. And we thank you for that. And God, I pray that, that we as a church that we can express that same love and gratefulness and share that same love and gratefulness to the people around us, God. We need you. We seek you, God. We ask that you would guide us in all that we do, that through us you would use us to make a difference in our community, God, that through us you'd, that you would use us to, to help others see your love and your goodness and your grace, God. We love you so much. It's your name we pray. Amen. I'm gonna ask you to stand and join us as we continue in worship. And before we jump into this next song, this is a, it's not a new song, but I don't think we've done this in quite a while or maybe ever since we've been in this building. The song's called Reckless Love. So we got Dangerous Grace and Reckless Love. And there's some people, 
I've heard that say, I, you know, they don't like this song because reckless love. God's not reckless. But I will say, in, in us looking at it, it's reckless. Because if we love the way that God loved, it would be reckless. So God is not reckless, but his love for us is reckless. And there's a point in the song, it says, he leaves the 99. There's a story, I think it's in Matthew, talking about how the shepherd leaves the other 99 sheep to find the one lost sheep. And that's the reckless love of God. You may be the one sheep that's wandered off, and he loves you enough to leave the other 99 to go to you. So as we sing this